So um, here are the questions that we'll uh, explore. Can everybody see that? Yeah, kind of lean to one side. Uh, what, what issues might divide a modern day church? Now I'm going to speak of some of these things in the course of the message this morning, but, but I hope you will explore that question. Uh, perhaps, perhaps out of your own experience, out of your own knowledge certainly, or suspicions. But let's talk about that. I think it's an important matter to give consideration to. What issues, what concerns, what matters might divide a, a church of the 21st century? And then how can those issues be overcome? Now, of course, you might, might well expect that we're going to answer this question in the course of the sermon this morning. But I'm hoping that you will help us to, uh, to find that avenue of application, if you will. How does it work? What's the, what's the be ye doers of the word? Right? In how can those issues be overcome? And then lastly, third question, how can, how can we... How can we grow in love here at Sovereign Grace Church? One of the things that, that we always want to be doing, to truly be faithful to the word of our Lord, to truly be His people, His church, the body of Christ, loving one another. We're reading this morning from... 1 Corinthians chapter, yeah, 12, 13, et al. The Apostle Paul had written this letter to the church in Corinth, Corinth, Greece. Uh, a church that the Apostle Paul had founded during his second missionary journey. Uh, for those of you that are experts on Paul's missionary journeys, you know that uh, the second missionary journey brought him through the regions of Greece, well through uh, Asia Minor and, uh, and then through Greece and finally to Corinth. The, the answer to the trick question is where did Paul get his haircut? Need to write this down. It's on the test. And it was in Corinth that uh, Paul got his haircut. No, he got his haircut. He, he made a vow while he was in Corinth. And a, a part of that vow uh, was to, to have his haircut. Uh, I think the idea was he had his haircut trimmed before he took the vow because part of the vow was he would not have, uh, have his hair cut uh, for a period. Force me on this stuff. It's so Paul had preached in Corinth. He had preached there the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the people there had received the good news, and repenting of their sin, they had 
by God's grace through faith, been born again by the Spirit of God. I think it's important for us to keep this truth in mind as we read through the, the book, the epistle, the letter of 1 Corinthians. That this is, this is a letter from God through His apostle to Christians, to His people, those whom He had called into His church, the body of Christ. Having been saved by faith, by grace through faith, they needed now to learn how to be the church. They needed to grow up, right? They needed to mature in their knowledge, their belief, their understanding, their activities, their life as the body of Christ. The Spirit of God had for them granted manifestations of His Spirit through, through gifts that He had given to them that they might worship Him with the whole body. But these very gifts that had come from the Spirit of God, gifts from God the Holy Spirit, had become a great problem in this church in Corinth. These very gifts from God had become divisive. Whether they were real or imagined on the part of the people there in the church, they were driving the church apart. It happens. It happened in Corinth. It happens in other churches. There's no end to the kinds of things that in various times and various places have divided the church. James writes about the problem of, of the rich and the poor, right? The, 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 the fact that the, the, the idea of, of classes according to wealth will separate the people of God. There's always been the issue of gender. Man and woman makes an us and them out of the people of the church. Young and old, can you believe it? This is one of the issues that has at times been divisive in church. Educated, uneducated, white collar, blue collar. Contemporary bluegrass hymns. Race, ethnicity, nationality. And it's so unfortunate. It, it, it's so wrong because Jesus, Jesus just asserted so eloquently, so perfectly, so totally his heart's desire that his people, that his church would be one. And he even used that perfect analogy. He says that, that the church would be as one as he and the Father are one. It's his heart's desire that his church would be united and that nothing would interfere, nothing would impede the genuine fellowship of the church. 
So these were new Christians in Corinth. New church, the whole, the whole concept of, of the fellowship of the saints was new to them, was new to most of the world. And as the Spirit of God led the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to them to, to teach them, to coach them, if you will. Raise your hand if you know what a wiffle ball is. All right, all right. I hit one. That's a, so we all know what a wiffle ball is. And you know, you get, it comes as a set. You get the wiffle ball and you get the plastic bat. And I suspect that we've all experienced, um, you, you get the little the plastic bat and the wiffle ball on the, on the cardboard, right? And you give it to your little three or four year old. I want you to picture this. Now, now what does the, the little three or four year old do with the plastic bat? If they have siblings, but what they don't do, what they don't do is hit the wiffle ball. I mean, they swing, swing with all they got. Swing everything, everywhere except where the ball is. And you can, I mean, you, right? And, and uh, I mean, you can hit them with the ball. And, and they can't. And, um, and so you hate them for this, Right? I mean, when little children do stupid things like that, I mean, it just raises up the hate within you for those little children. I mean, for crying out loud, all it is a wiffle ball. Hit the thing. No, you don't hate them. They're precious, right? You love them all the more. They're little kids. What do you expect? God has made himself known to us as our Heavenly Father. Now there are myriad examples, analogies, ways that God could have made himself known in his wisdom. We know him as our Heavenly Father. And I'm here to tell you, read the book of 1 Corinthians. They had problems. They could not hit the ball. And they were whacking each other with the bat. And their father did not hate them for it. Did he? No. He loved them. They're precious. And so he inspires the Apostle Paul to write this, write this letter, a, a little coaching, right? A little coaching to help them learn how to hit the ball. Help them learn how to be the church, the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God 
has preserved this letter. Lo, these 21 centuries. And he has preserved this letter for the same reason for us. Because our Heavenly Father loves us. Our Heavenly Father loves us and knows that sometimes we can't hit the ball. Sometimes we get to whacking each other with the bat. And he sent us this letter that we might learn, that we might grow, to be a people worthy of him, a people who honor him, obedient, and stand as his representative in a sinful world. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and other places, the Apostle Paul addresses this problem of the spiritual gifts. He addresses this problem of the spiritual gifts in in that, that understand that the gifts themselves are not the problem. But rather, rather it is how these gifts are being, being exercised, how they are being understood, and how they are impacting the relationships within the church. 1231, verse 1231 is the lead-in. Don't let these chapters and verse numbers confuse you again. Right? Pastor Ben has so wisely guided us to understand that these chapter and, and verse numbers are, are there to help us find our place, but sometimes they, they divide us in ways that are not good. So 1231 absolutely goes with 13. 13 goes with 12, so on and so forth. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, the apostle writes, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Throughout chapter 12, as the apostle has has discussed and and guided them and coached them with regard to how uh, spiritual gifts are to be exercised within the church, in verses 27 through 31 of chapter 12, he very clearly expresses that there is a hierarchy, right? That there is a prioritization of these spiritual gifts. And then he comes to verse 31 where he says, After, of, of all, these, all these gifts to be exercised in the church, here's the best one. This is, this is the top of the list. This is the more excellent way. More excellent than all the other spiritual gifts that have been mentioned. Read with me then from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give, if I give away all I have and If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So looking at this lesson in detail, we see first of all that the absence of love would make one of no consequence in the church. Regardless of whatever role, whatever talent, how great the wisdom or knowledge, without love, you're nothing. Without love, you you simply cannot contribute to the life of the church. And you may, in fact, be detrimental to the church. This is a huge statement. This this is enormous. This is enormous for for us today in in the 21st century in church life, in, in, uh, in Statesboro, Georgia, at Sovereign Grace Church. Without love, we are nothing. We are insignificant before the kingdom of God. Think about, think about, and many of you have have been part of church life for a good number of years. And think about the kinds of things that you have encountered in church life that are given preference that are made the main thing, the most important thing, the top priority. Think about the the many false churches. I hate when people do that. I don't know why I did it. (laughs) Think about all the the places where the, the guy behind the pulpit is what's most important. Uh, think about think, <laughs> think about the the times and places where what kind of songs you sing have priority in in the hearts and lives of of people. The Bible tells us 
I mean, am I misinterpreting these verses? Without love, you're nothing. There is nothing in the church of God that is of more importance, that surpasses that we love one another. Verse 4, we learn that love has observable characteristics. You can see love. Love is acting out in, in reality. Love is patient. Wow, huh? Love is patient. When you think about how to be more loving, please think about being more patient. I'm not talking to you. I said that for my own benefit. Be patient. Don't rush to judgment. Right? And, and recognize, recognize your prejudices. And I don't, I'm not prejudiced. Yes, you are. You can't help it. Your life experiences, everything that's going on, going in to making you who you are is in there somewhere. And it's, and it's all that's going to come to the forefront in making a, a judgment, evaluating people and situations. Acknowledge it and avoid letting your prejudices lead you to early judgment, prejudging other people. Be patient. Be patient. What are you waiting for? Be patient for the truth. Right? Be patient that that truth will win out over our prejudices. Not rushing to judgment. Waiting. Waiting for truth to be the truth. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Everybody knows what it means to be kind. Is it the same thing as loving? Being kind, compassionate, considerate? Being kind. Is it do unto others? Is that kindness? Is that, is that love? Be kind. Contribute. Be concerned. Act upon the welfare of others. Love is patient. Love is kind. I think the apostle, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, knows that the church in Corinth and the church in Statesboro and Sovereign Grace needs to know and acknowledge what love is not as well. Love does not envy. Envy is a problem in the church. Envy is a problem in... Uh, in so many congregations. 
regretting that somebody else has something. You know, it's not even a matter of, of regretting that somebody else has something that I don't. It, it's, even, if I have, even if I have it, envy is regretting that they have it too. What an ugly thing it is. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Thinking, thinking oneself superior to others and saying so. Wow. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. That is thinking less of others and saying so. Love is not rude. If you're not going to be rude, then you're going to have to learn to be patient and to be kind. The absence of these things will make you a rude person. In order to not be rude, you have to have in your heart and in your mind always the other. The other. Consideration for the needs, the wants, the desires for others. Love does not insist on its own way, not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love is in fact the opposite of these things. So as we, as we read here these things that love is not, love does not, we, we come to understand that in fact the, the, the positive side of these are that love is the opposite of these things. Love rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. That is trusting, right? The, the initial, initial relationship, the initial thought is to be trusting. Hopes all things, endures all things. As a matter of fact, love is the only part of church life that will endure into eternity. It is the more excellent way because all the other spiritual gifts will come to an end and only our love, only God's love for us, only our love for God and only our love for each other 
will remain into eternity. Fill in the blank. What do you think is more important? What do you think takes higher priority? What do you think has greater relevance in the life of the church, in the life of a Christian, than that we should love one another? As I expressed earlier, the, the members of the church in Corinth, they were young. They weren't young chronologically in years necessarily. They were new Christians. They were new at being church. Paul preached there and the church started off as just a few. They, they met at the, the Honey Bowen building in Corinth. They, they put signs out by the road to let people know where the church was meeting. Yeah, they didn't, uh, they didn't, I mean, First Baptist Church of Corinth didn't have a lot of uh, Corinthian columns out front. Uh, they, they probably met at different people's houses. Yeah, Sunday night was church, typically, the Lord's Day. And, and you can see, when you went over to, uh, I mean, when church was held at um, Joe Petropopoulos' uh, house, and, and Joe is, uh, is a uh, stock trader at the uh, Athens Stock Exchange, and has done quite well, and uh, he and, uh, he and, uh, Mrs. Petropopoulos, have a nice home, got nice stuff. And, and you, in fact, are an indentured servant at um, the um, Euripides household. Uh, but you go to church. I mean, you've, you've, you've come to Christ. You've heard the gospel. And, and you love, you love what has come about in your life and in this, this fellowship. But man, when you get to the Petropopoulos house, you have to think, oh God, why can't I have all this stuff? Why, are they any better than me? Aren't we all the same? And so there's an inclination to, to envy. Jealousy. And it will manifest itself in different ways. You might, uh, you might find fault with the silverware. Right? Hey, I found a spot. I mean, you announced it, right? In front of the whole church, all 12 of them. There's, there's something on my fork. And of course, Miss Pet Petropopoulos, she is just... Uh, Right? Yeah, I guess you showed her. Am I making this stuff up? Well, yeah, sort of. But not really. Huh? 
So the, the church in Corinth, they need to grow up. It was, it was immaturity. It was childishness that caused spiritual gifts to be abused in this church. It was childishness that caused the, the divisiveness that separated one member from another in the church. Understand that the gifts themselves are wonderful. They are gifts from the Holy Spirit of God. And in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the apostle tells us that, that these gifts are given for the common good. Isn't that a wonderful statement? For the common good. This is the reason these gifts are manifest. For everybody. That everybody would benefit. There's no look at me involved here. But rather at how can I bless you? How can you be blessed? For the common good. There's nothing wrong with prophecy. There's nothing wrong with preaching and teaching. Nothing wrong with miracles, healing. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. What is wrong is these practices when they do not contribute to the common good of the body of Christ. when they lead to immature, childish divisiveness. Think about, think about the things that, that we have read here from 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is and what love is not. And think about childishness. Think about little children. Envy. Jealousy. Greed, lack of consideration for others. That child don't know he's whacking his brother with the plastic bat. I mean, he knows he is, but hey, looked like fun to me. Harmful, hurtful, quick-tempered, attention-seeking. little or no self-awareness. Childishness, you see, is all wrapped up in two letters. M-E. The childishness is, is all about me. Thinking, thinking, having all consideration, all thoughts, primarily about oneself little or no consideration for others. Love and childishness are incompatible. Childish self-centeredness effectively blocks the flow of love. You hear that? That childish immaturity, that childish self-centeredness effectively blocks the flow of love. 
For you see, love flows that way, out. And the childish self-centeredness is all about what comes this way to me, meism, self-centeredness. Love and childishness are incompatible. Love is, is the purpose, is the motive, if you will, in our relationship with others. We, we so often, however, we have, we have been led, we've been taught, we've heard, we've, we've had propaganda poured into us that love is in fact a, a matter of others' relationship with, with ourselves. It's how others relate to me. Why don't they love me? I'm here to tell you. This is one of the greatest issues for the guy that stands here. There, is, there are few things that affect a pastor more than the problem of, why don't they love me? They taught me that in seminary. I don't know. Nobody loves me. Why am I not lovable. And, and what should I do? What can I do to make them love me? These are real. This is reality. But what's at issue here is not love, but what's at issue here is, a, is an immaturity. A lack of understanding, an acknowledgement, a realization of what genuine love is. What's at work is childishness. It is not your responsibility to make others love you. It is your responsibility to love others. Get it right. Y'all are familiar. As I look around the room, most everybody is familiar with the King James Version. Not a bad text of the Bible. Just like anything else, it can be misused. Remember how, how wonderful the gifts of the Spirit are, right? How, how, what's the problem? The misuse, right? Same thing's true with the King James Bible, right? Sometimes. But, so you're probably aware that 1 Corinthians 13, the Greek word that appears in the, the original text here for love, is that word agape, which has, uh, we've heard a lot about through the years. But in the King James translation of, of the Bible, the, the English word that's used here for agape is charity. And it's not wrong. It may well be the better English translation. For you see, this love, this agape, this love to which we are called in the body of Christ, in the church, as the people of God, this love which we should know and and practice as, 
as mature Christians is a life of charity. It's a life of sacrifice. This love, this agape, the priority of giving over receiving. You've heard this all your Christian life. But one of the most difficult things to put into practice in our life. Oh, how quickly we can can revert to that childishness of, of me, of wanting. Give me! Whack! We're to love others as our Savior and Lord has loved us sacrificially. We're told throughout Scripture that Jesus held back nothing. Sacrificially, He loved us. This love in us which takes precedence of thou over me. Love that not only promises everything, love that not only talks the talk, but love that gives everything. In Christ, in His church, we give up childish things. Envy, jealousy, greed, lack of compassion, hurtfulness, quick temper, attention-seeking. We give up the childish things and we take up the command of our Savior. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave us this command and He set the example for us. For greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is not a lesson that you're going to hear in the world. Don't don't let yourself be deceived by what the world calls love. Don't let television romance replace Christian love in your life. Don't let ecstatic, emotional church substitute for loving one another. And don't ever let the most eloquent of preachers robbed your church of love. For it is love that makes us stick together. Love is the glue. Love binds us as we find in Colossians 3.14 which tells us above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Oh that is so beautiful that when we love one another, all these other things just 
fall away. They just don't even exist. Love is what makes a church a church. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Now, you're hitting it out of the park.